Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, February 16th. I'm Leslie Palma. And I'm Teresa Watson. Thanks for joining us this evening. In our top story, we celebrate an 11th hour victory for the five late-term abortion victims whose bodies were set to be destroyed last Friday. Our guest, Reverend Pat Mahoney, was instrumental in securing this victory, and he'll be here to tell us about it. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, who describes himself as a pro-life Democrat, has signed on to sponsor a pro-abortion bill. I'll have all the details and other stories in abortion in the news. In political news in a nutshell, we'll talk about whether Joe Biden is too old for another term in the White House and all the political happenings that occurred this week. Well, as I'm sure you've heard, Jesus showed up at the Super Bowl. We will discuss a controversial ad that has everyone talking. Stay tuned. We reported last week that the Washington, D.C. medical examiner had been ordered by the U.S. Justice Department to destroy the bodies of five late-term abortion victims found in the home of a pro-life activist two years ago. But after pro-lifers jumped into the fray, the D.C. medical examiner said last Friday afternoon that the office would not destroy the baby's bodies. Reverend Pat Mahoney, a longtime pro-life activist who heads up the Christian Defense Coalition, was instrumental in securing this victory, and he's joining us this evening. Welcome to the show, Pat. Well, it's great to be here, and all the viewers, if they only knew (laughs) what we've been, this is going to be the best show ever based on what we've had to go through to get here. (laughs) Very true. Very true. (laughs) So, Pat, set the stage for us. Who are these babies and why are they important? Well, uh, in March of two years ago, um, Teresa Bakovinak and Lauren Handy were doing sidewalk counseling at the infamous Santangelo's uh, uh, Abortion Center in Washington, D.C. All abortion centers are horrible. Santangelo does abortions up to eight and nine months. They saw a gentleman coming out with a large drum and they were aware that they were from a medical disposal company. So they actually talked with him, told him what was in the drum. And amazingly, the person gave it to Lauren and Teresa. When they got back home and opened it, it was shocking, horrifying, troubling. There were hundreds of aborted children in the drum, and five of them were extremely late-term abortion, eight months or later. And it was clear looking at them that they were probably illegal partial birth abortions done and perhaps even infanticide. So they had the hundred or so children buried by a Catholic priest, but then the medical examiner for Washington, D.C. came and took these five late-term aborted children almost two years ago. And there are videos out there, when you look at them, uh, it, it breaks your heart. It's They're hard to look at because 
these are beautiful children on the cusp of being born who have been brutalized uh, potentially through done and perhaps even infanticide. Fanticide, in other words, they were killed after they were born. So for the hundred, a Catholic priest came and gave them um, a proper burial in a state where I won't mention. But then the D.C. medical examiner, the police came and took the five late term aborted children. Over the past two years, there has been this struggle going on with the Department of Justice, the Washington, D.C. medical examiner, the mayor of Washington, D.C., Mayor Bowser, and the Washington, D.C. police department and Congress, pro-life members of Congress, demanding that an autopsy be done because we believe that these children all abortions are horrific, whether they're done at 13 weeks or 35 weeks. But partial birth abortions by code and infanticide violate federal law. So over the past two years, there's been this real back and forth of members of Congress, like Congressman uh, Roy and Senator Cruz and so many heroic Congressman Smith, so many heroic members of Congress, over 45, demanding that an autopsy be done. It, it, it just was clearly uh, a cover-up. So just last week, the Department of Justice talked to the medical examiner and said, we are done. We're not going to do any autopsy or have any plans. And they said that the babies were to be disposed of by the end of the week, which would have been uh, uh, last Friday. When we heard that, we got involved with the American Center for Law and Justice on two levels. Of course, we want an autopsy. That's the most important. But what Katie, uh, my wife and I did, we went to the medical examiners and filed a petition to receive these five precious children to ensure that after an autopsy, if one happens, that they would receive an honorable, proper and dignified burial and they would not be thrown into an unknown grave and treated like they had no value at all. Here's where we're at right now. Just yesterday on Capitol Hill, um, Congressman Roy, along with pro-life groups and leaders and members of Congress, had a major news conference in which they demanded an autopsy be done. And then after an autopsy uh, is done, that these children would be given a proper burial. And we're now working with the uh, Archdiocese of D.C. that they would be buried in a um, Catholic cemetery in our nation's capital. Um, and we would love to see at the cathedral uh, a special funeral mass done for these children. Uh, our position is clear. These children have value and meaning and dignity and purpose. Ellie Wiesel, the Holocaust survivor and Nobel Peace Prize winner, said that if we don't honor the dead, it's akin to killing them all over again. 
And so we want to make sure first an autopsy and then a proper and dignified burial. So, Pat, you mentioned the Justice Department, but I is there why is the federal government involved in this? Okay, so it, it's kind of interesting. DC is under the jurisdiction of Congress and the federal government. So let's say these children were found um, in New York State, then it would be the governor and his um, attorney general overseeing it. But everything in Washington, D.C. is federal. So because of that, the Department of Justice makes all of this, the decisions. In, in other words, D.C. doesn't have their prosecutors for crimes that are committed in, in the District of Columbia are prosecuted by the federal government because it's not a state. Mm. Um, it's under federal jurisdiction. It's called home rule. So that's why the Biden Department of Justice, um, and we know how this administration feels about pro-life, and there is another major element to this case. Lauren Handy and eight other heroic pro-life activists, Joan Andrews being one of them, are in prison in the D.C. area to be sentenced in May, facing 11 years in federal prison for doing a peaceful sit-in to try to intervene to save lives. But here's where the story, and uh, some I think would even say conspiracy, gets a bit more intertwined. Part of Lauren's and Joan's defense was that they were intervening to prevent illegal acts. Because guess what? The, the sit-in that they did was at Santangelo's clinic, where they knew that partial births were going on by past investigative studies. So when when Lauren Joan and the um, seven others rescued and peacefully intervened there, part of their reason, a major part, was to expose criminal activity by Santangelo. An autopsy of these children would confirm that and help with their case and uh, their their attorney their legal um group with uh thomas moore believes that it could get an acquittal for them so we believe the biden administration is moving so quickly because they're not going to be sentenced until may and they want all of the evidence gone by may wow wow well, Pat, this is really an incredible story. Um, the federal government covering up for potential crimes committed by an abortionist. It's just really mind boggling. And, and we want to thank you uh, for your quick response and the success you've had in preserving the bodies of these precious babies. Thanks so much. Well, for I, uh, thank you so much. But what we want to say and was what was stressed at the news conference, it isn't over yet. So we don't know as of this week, what the plans are these these aborted children are um safe right now from being um cremated but we are still fighting and congress is still fighting to see what the final disposition will be for these children and uh, i would encourage all brothers and sisters to pray to call their members of congress and we still have to be actively engaged in this Absolutely. And we'll, you'll keep us posted, Pat. 
we we will for sure. And God bless you. And thank you for the great work you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining. Good night, Pat. Good night. God bless. U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, a West Virginia Democrat who describes himself as pro-life and often votes that way, has signed on as a sponsor of a pro-abortion bill called the Reproductive Freedom for All Act. The bill would prohibit states from passing laws that would pose an undue burden on mothers seeking to kill their babies pre-viability, while allowing such laws later in pregnancy, with exceptions for the life and health of the mother. It also would protect access to contraception and preserve conscience rights for healthcare workers who do not participate, do not want to participate in abortion. While I will always consider myself pro-life, we cannot take away a woman's basic right to make her own healthcare decisions, Manchin said. The bill, he said, would reinstate the fundamental protections women held for five decades and neither expand nor restricts what had been the law of the land. The bill also has the support of pro-abortion Republican Senators Lisa Mikowski of Alaska and Susan Collins from Maine. Maryland is one of the most abortion-friendly states in the nation, and now Governor Wes Moore has pledged to spend $15.6 million in taxpayer funding to guarantee the state remains a, quote, safe haven for reproductive care. The University of Maryland, Baltimore, will be awarded $10.6 million in grant funding to administer the state's abortion care clinical training program to increase the number and ethnic diversity of abortion workers. Planned Parenthood and the National Abortion Federation will receive funding under this program. Moore wants to spend another $5 million to increase Medicaid reimbursement rates for abortion sellers. That portion of the scheme requires approval from the state's House and Senate. The Speaker of the Virginia House of Delegates allowed a vote on a pro-life bill whose sponsor had asked for the measure to be removed from the docket. The bill called for public funding to be cut off to abortion businesses and hospitals that perform abortion, without the usual exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother. The Republicans who backed the measure wanted to amend it to add the exceptions, but Democrats blocked that effort, and Speaker Don Scott brought the unamended version to the floor, where it was voted down 95 to 1, with all Republicans except one voting against it. Observers say the political maneuver was an effort to embarrass Republicans. Protections for the unborn and their mothers are in jeopardy in abortion-friendly Michigan, where the extremists at the Center for Reproductive Rights have filed a lawsuit to get rid of a 24-hour waiting period, expand the number of health care workers who can perform abortions, and repeal a law requiring mothers to be told beforehand about fetal development and the exact nature of abortion procedures. Genevieve Marnon, legislative director for Right to Life of Michigan, said the abortion industry and Governor Gretchen, Whit- Gretchen Whitmer are dead set on systematically stripping away protections for women who are seeking an abortion. Women should be very concerned. Also in Michigan, this week, the Reproductive Health Act went into effect, repealing a law that required the purchase of a special insurance rider to cover abortions and dropping a law that prohibited colleges and universities from referring their students to abortion businesses. Nothing says I love you like abortion, at least according to the Carolina Abortion Fund. For the third consecutive year, the fund has asked people to send in donations of $14 on Valentine's Day to help mothers abort their children. Let's spread the love and fund abortion care, the organization tweeted. In other weird news from South Carolina, a new bill would pay women to give birth to babies they wanted to abort but couldn't because state law protects babies from abortion at about six weeks. The bill claims the heartbeat law forces a woman to act as a gestational surrogate for the state of South Carolina, which cannot itself physically conceive or carry a child. Comparing a woman's uterus to rental property, the bill also asserts that the state may not require a mother to incubate a child without appropriate compensation. 
A Democrat in the Illinois House has sponsored a bill that would give a $500 tax credit to mothers who move to the state to abort their children and to abortionists who set up shop in the state after leaving places where laws protecting the unborn have left them out of work. Republicans say the bill is a faulty way to address the state's population loss. A growing trend in the Netherlands, known as duo-euthanasia, allows couples to end their lives together. The latest victim of this macabre ritual are former Dutch Prime Minister Dries van Ocht and his wife of 65 years, Eugenie. Both were 93. The former Prime Minister never fully recovered after suffering a brain hemorrhage in 2019, the Washington Post reported, while his wife's health issues were unknown. 29 couples were killed by duo-euthanasia in 2022 in the Netherlands, more than double the number who died in 2020. In euthanasia, a physician administers a lethal dose of drugs to end a person's life. In assisted suicide, a person self-administers the drug in the presence of a physician. Euthanasia is still illegal in the U.S., but assisted suicide is allowed in 10 states and the District of Columbia. And finally, some good news. The Kansas City Chiefs' Super Bowl victory was also a win for a pregnancy center in the Catholic Diocese of Kansas City St. Joseph as the result of a bet between bishops. If the 49ers had won, Bishop James Johnston of Kansas City, St. Joseph, promised to send San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelion a gift pack from the American Jazz Museum and a donation to support a pregnancy care center in the winning diocese. But the Chiefs won, putting the Archbishop on the hook for a case of rice aroni and a donation to a Kansas City pregnancy care center of Bishop Johnston's choice. And that's Abortion in the News. According to an overwhelming majority of those surveyed in a new ABC poll, President Joe Biden is too old for another term in the White House. Released Sunday after being conducted February 9th and 10th, immediately following a report from special counsel Robert Hur that described Biden as, quote, a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. The poll revealed that 86% of Americans think Biden, who is 81, is too old to serve another term. It's the latest blow to the Biden campaign, which has been working feverishly to dispel the notion that Biden does not have the capacity to effectively serve out another term after her report provided a withering assessment of the president's mental acuity. Her was assigned to investigate Biden's possible mishandling of classified documents last year after the president discovered the documents in his home and former office. Investigators found insufficient evidence to charge Biden for mishandling classified documents during his time as vice president, but wrote his memory appeared to have significant limitations and that he did not remember even within several years when his son Beau died in 2015. Biden could not remember when he was vice president or the details of a debate about sending additional troops to Afghanistan. Vice President Kamala Harris said during an interview Wednesday that she was ready to fulfill her constitutional duty to assume the presidency should President Biden be unable to govern as questions swirl around about his health and age. With one week to go before South Carolina's GOP primary, former President Donald Trump sits with a commanding lead over rival Nikki Haley. But that didn't stop Trump from urging supporters to show up in force on February 24th. We want to send a signal for November, Trump said during a 90-minute campaign speech Saturday at Coastal Carolina University's HTC Center. He continued saying, 14 days from now, each and every one of you is going to get out and vote to deliver a gigantic win in South Carolina. And in November, we're going to win the White House and we're going to take back our country. 
As of Saturday, Trump holds nearly a 32-point lead over Haley among likely GOP primary voters, 62.5% to 30.6%. Trump has also pulled in endorsements from virtually every statewide elected official, including U.S. Senators Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott and Governor Henry McMaster. Scott's name is rumored to be on Trump's shortlist for vice president. This state has been so incredible, we love this state with thousands of hardworking, God-fearing American patriots, Trump said. He walked on stage to signs that read, Welcome Home President Trump and South Carolina Trump Country. Former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan announced last week that he will run for U.S. Senate, giving Republicans a prominent candidate who is well-positioned to run a competitive campaign for the GOP in a state that hasn't had a Republican U.S. Senator in 37 years. But Hogan's candidacy is a problem for pro-lifers. He is pro-abortion and was chief executive of a state with few abortion restrictions. He told CNN that he won't support a national abortion ban. It was Hogan's first public comments since he announced his candidacy. I'm personally not a proponent of abortion, but I'm not going to take away the rights for others to make that decision for themselves, Hogan said. I'm not on either side of the extreme of that issue. I stood up for people to continue to have the right to abortion in the state of Maryland. No, I would not vote to support a national abortion ban, Hogan continued. Hogan added that a voter referendum to add abortion access to the state constitution is unnecessary. The decision marks a surprise turnaround for Hogan, who had considered a presidential bid. As governor, he became a national figure as one of the rare Republicans willing to criticize Donald Trump. Last month, Hogan stepped down from the leadership of the third party movement, No Labels. My fellow Marylanders, you know me. Hogan begins in a video released by the Senate campaign. For eight years, we proved that the toxic politics that divide our nation need not divide our state. The former governor added that he decided to run for Senate not to serve one party, but to try to be part of the solution to fix our nation's broken politics and fight for Maryland. That's what I did as your governor, and it's exactly how I'll serve you in the United States Senate, Hogan said. GOP leaders are eager to pick up the seat as they try to wrestle control of the Senate from Democrats who hold a slim majority and are defending more seats than Republicans in 2024. But if Hogan wins, the Senate would then have three pro-abortion Republicans who would be expected to vote against pro-life legislation. Democrat Tom Souza won a special election for a U.S. House seat in New York on Tuesday coming out on top in a politically mixed suburban district. Susie defended Republican Mazie Pillup to take the seat that was left vacant when George Santos, also a Republican, was expelled from Congress. The victory marks a return to Washington for Susie, who represented the district for three terms before giving it up to run unsuccessfully for governor. It's unclear how long his next stint on Capitol Hill will last as a redistricting process unfolds that could reshape the district. But for now, the result narrows the already slim Republican majority in the House. There are now 219 Republicans to 213 Democrats. And that's political news in a nutshell. Whether you watch the Super Bowl or not, you undoubtedly have seen the ad, He Gets Us, sponsored by a new Christian nonprofit called Come Near. 
The ad caused quite, quite a lot of discussion on social media, and a lot of the discussion was a far cry from what the ad seemed to intend. The ad shows people in various settings washing other people's feet and is meant to convey the biblical principle of Christians serving others as service to the Lord. One of the situations depicted is a photo showing a woman washing the feet of a young woman outside an abortion business that the ad has labeled as a family planning clinic. Some pro-life advocates criticized the ad for making it appear that it was endorsing women having abortions, which kill unborn children and violate biblical principles. Others say the ad merely called on viewers to follow Jesus' command to love our neighbors, regardless of who they are and what they do. It wasn't just pro-lifers who found fault with the ad. The abortion extremist Amanda Marcotte wrote a story in Salon that carried the headline, Hobby Lobby-funded Jesus Super Bowl ads can't hide the hate that fuels the Christian right. A blogger at the Mary Sue, which bills itself as the geek girl's guide to the universe, wrote that the quote, money shot, showed an anti-abortion protester outside a family planning clinic washing the feet of a young pregnant woman. The clinic is definitely meant to represent the crisis pregnancy centers run by evangelical conservatives who use the centers to lure in pregnant people and convince them that abortion is not an option, the blogger wrote. This is a completely different interpretation than the one pro-lifers came away with. We reached out to, he, to the He Gets Us to have someone talk about the ad and the backlash, but we haven't gotten a response yet. But here's what we've learned about the campaign. Its first ad debuted during the 2023 Super Bowl, showing Jesus as an immigrant, a refugee, a woman's rights advocate, and as someone fighting racial injustice and corruption in politics. It immediately drew the ire of New York Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who tweeted, something tells me Jesus would not spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads to make fascism look benign. The tweet was roundly criticized and the ad was a hit. Last year, the campaign was funded by a Christian group called the Servant Foundation, an organization that has given substantial grants to many Christian and pro-life organizations. Hobby Lobby owner and CEO David Green has said publicly that he was a donor. This year, a newly formed nonprofit called Come Near is funding He Gets Us. David Green's son, Mark Green, is a member of Come Near's board of directors. Its CEO is Ken Caldwell, former CEO of Compassion International, a Christian organization dedicated to ending child poverty. Responding to the controversy following this year's Super Bowl ad, He Gets Us spokesman Greg Miller said, her goal is to really show that Jesus loved and cared for everyone and anyone. We would love to know what you think. So please watch the ad if you haven't already and share your comments on the social media platform where you're viewing the show. Don't ask me what you know is true. Don't have to tell you I love your precious heart I I was standing You were there Two worlds collided And they could never tear us apart Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. 
If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Pro-Life News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.